welcome to the Advance Born Global podcast. I'm Johanna Pittman, CEO of Advance, the non-profit organisation that shines a spotlight on the impact of outstanding global Australians. In this podcast series, we meet all 34 game changers recognised in the 2022 Global Australian Awards. These inspiring game changers generously share the story of their international career journey with us, the highlights and challenges, and what motivates them in their work. I hope you enjoy getting to know these inspiring game changers. In this episode, we meet Rachel Barnard, a 2022 game changer for her massive social impact through a program to divert young people out of the criminal justice system. I was blown away by Rachel's accomplishment of this impact in New York and hearing about her shift to be an entrepreneur developing sustainable toys. This interview was conducted by Kathy Campbell, the producer of the Global Australian Awards. If you can tell us in really simple terms, how do you describe what you do? I'm the founder of a wonderful organisation called Young New Yorkers. We are a true alternative to incarceration for young people here in New York City. It's an arts-based program, so instead of going to jail or incurring other adult sanctions, young people can come to our one-day, four-week or eight-week programs and they have their cases dismissed and sealed. That means no permanent adult record, uh, collateral the collateral consequences of which can be absolutely devastating. Uh, we began Young New Yorkers at the height of mass incarceration, um, and at that time, 16 and 17 year olds were automatically prosecuted and sentenced as adults. And in the 10 years we've been working, um, 16 and 17 year olds now are considered to be children again, and they go through family court and they don't incur a lifelong criminal record, which limits. Uh, things like access to some forms of employment, social services such as housing and educational scholarships. And these are all things that young people who get arrested tend to need more than others because who is given a chance to learn from their mistakes here in New York City and who is punished for them falls along racial lines and particularly people that live in lower socio-economic neighbourhoods. That is such incredible work. My mind has got so many questions now around your journey to this this point, or you know, at, not just to now, but to founding this. When you were going through uni, early on in your career, did you always see this as your goal? Like, how did you get to this? Uh, no. <laughs> Um, I actually trained for six years to be an architect and I practiced as an architect for about 10 years and I loved the profession so much but in 2008 when the recession came um, I lost my job here in New York City and I was fortunate enough to be able to do a master's at Columbia University um, an advanced architectural design master's and at the end of that program I won a fellowship for an architectural project of social significance so I proposed the project Young New Yorkers a one-off public art project 
to provide a platform for 16 and 17 year olds who are being prosecuted as adults to advocate for change given that they were too young to vote and impact the legislation directly. Uh, in 2012, uh, one year after I was awarded the fellowship, Chief Judge Littman announced that he was going to raise the age of criminal responsibility and all of a sudden it became politically astute to offer different sentencing options inside adult courts for teenagers. And so uh, with two of my friends who were public defenders, um, they snuck me into Judge Gabay's court as he was setting up his bench and I pitched the program. I said I had funding from Columbia University. I didn't mention that it was from the architecture school. And he said yes on the spot and two months later we had our first eight young people in our program. I collaborated intensively with social workers, artists, designers and therapists to create that first program. But true to the original intention, at the end of that eight weeks, we held quite a large public art installation that had been created by the young people in the program. And what I didn't expect was for prosecutors and judges to attend the exhibition and hear directly from the young people and be so moved by who they were and what they could achieve and what they were advocating for. Uh, and several of the prosecutors wept and I was then in a very unique situation where prosecutors and defence attorneys and judges were all asking for young New Yorkers to continue not as a project but an ongoing uh, organisation. And so out of my commitment to the young people, I began to learn what it was to run a not-for-profit and beca became an executive director. And that, that work lasted for 10, 10 long, beautiful, amazing years. Long. <laughs> That's, I, my next question is around, you know, that the kind of hours, the, num the amount of energy that that kind of work requires, which is, I mean, the outcome is long lasting, real change for people's lives. How did you find the energy? What motivated you each day with such a, such a demanding role uh, to continue to do what you do and what you did for, for those 10 years? So the first thing I'll say, Kathy, is at the beginning of the question, you said, you know, you're changing people's lives. Um, and it's very important when people understand Young New Yorkers that they understand its dual mission. Uh, the first thing is that everybody that comes to us is already extraordinary. They have a depth of human wisdom that many of us will never experience and they have so much leadership to offer our amazing city. So yes, we do provide a pathway for them to exit the system and to avoid uh, terrible consequences that they shouldn't be facing for making developmentally appropriate choices in many cases. Um, and we do that and I'm very proud of that direct service work and how well we do it. But the other thing we do is we provide a platform for young people to advocate for themselves and advocate for change. So every group has a courtroom exhibition and they take on issues that are very important to them as a collective. So we've done everything from police brutality to gun violence. We've taken on the racial disparities in the system. We've taken on uh, the huge disparities um, that are often invisible about whose needs are met and whose aren't on a very basic level. Can you 
by looking at someone know that they have housing insecurities and they don't know where their next meal is going to come from you you don't necessarily understand that i've had one young person who was arrested for uh, shoplifting in whole foods because she hadn't eaten in two days and had actually vomited from hunger and you know there's a lot of things that happen that as a city here in new york city we really do have enough to go around and um so-called crimes of poverty um especially when they're on the shoulders of teenagers um is completely unjust and one of the symptoms of you know the era of mass incarceration that we've been here been inside of here in the u.s uh so as much as we are a direct service, we're also a platform for extraordinary young people to speak back, not only to the system, but to New York City and say, this is who I am beyond my rap sheet. And this is the vision that I have for the future of justice. And um, it's incredibly moving. And in the courts that we work inside of, we've seen enormous swings and discretion in how prosecutors, um, a huge amount of discretion in the way that judges and prosecutors decide cases and they're far more likely to offer restorative options now than they were 10 years ago because they've met the young people for who they are not for what it says on their rap sheet or the charges okay so back to motivation <laughs> um <laughs> sorry i just i did i realized i didn't make that clear because uh, i don't talk about you know, we, we have a new executive director and I talk about it with her, but yeah, and it's not my job now. Um, to me, motivation is almost irrelevant um, day to day because I'm a human being and I really just can't trust my motivation levels. So I don't work from a point of motivation. Um, I think what's important to me is what I'm committed to. Um, and if I'm committed to something that's larger than myself, I have all of these reserves and all of this joy and groundedness um, to give each day. And it feels like an honor to be doing the work. It feels exciting to be doing the work, even when it also feels boring and laborious and tenuous and frustrating. Um, it's always, it's always, always worth it because I have my eye on all the young people in the city and what's possible not just for them but for the for the city when they're co-creating it with the adults around them uh, the other thing is that self-awareness is so important <laughs> and if i have a lot of external factors um, counting on me or a lot of people counting on me then I become extremely effective. I could never be an artist um, that's working alone in the studio because no one's counting on me and I don't think I'd be very productive. I totally agree with what you just said around people relying on you. That's a, that gets you out of bed when you know you've got that appointment to meet or that paper or form or whatever it is that... that box you've got to tick because someone's relying on you to do it that that does keep you going <laughs> very much so 
for me, my first assistant, who's now the financial manager of Young New Yorkers, she just innately does things without, like, early and she's, like, I just am so jealous of that tendency. But anyway, (laughs) I, I am effective when there's people counting on me. So what are some of the challenges that you've found in your role over those 10 years and some of the highlights? I mean, I can imagine what you just described, having the prosecutors come in and see this exhibition and be moved to tears. I'm sure that is a highlight. You, you know, you've mentioned it. But roles have challenges, highlights. It's a roller coaster, as always, life is. Can you tell us about some of those challenges and, and a couple of highlights that have stood out for you? I think one of the most exciting things about my role has been to speak to New York City through the work. Um, I think a lot of people think of the young people in my programs as those kids out there, you know, or in many cases as those bad kids, um, those monsters. And in fact, it's very easy to show through our program that that's just a heartbreaking almost violent break in our imagination about who our young people are. Young New Yorkers are our kids too and they're incredible and they have so much to offer and they're just like any other young person that needs some help growing up um, but who is always, you know, just extraordinary in what they have to offer. So that's been absolutely one of the highlights is to learn from the young people themselves and to partner with so many incredible people and creating very meaningful and sustained changes in the system that allow a space for young people to learn and grow rather than be punished for life and I would say oppressed in very uh, racist ways. Um, There are many challenges not-for-profits often don't have enough resources. Um, In order to prove ourselves for city funders, uh, we need to do a lot with very little uh, to get off the ground. There can be, inside of social justice, a lot of different points of view about what racial justice is and what it isn't, what justice for young people is and what it isn't, and holding space for those many different conversations uh, can be tiring um, and take an enormous amount of grace, but they're always, always worthwhile. I think many people come into the social justice space expecting it to be very right and wrong, very just and unjust and very clear, but actually every single person who is in the space who's impacted by the criminal legal system has vastly different experiences about what it is to be human um, and as a consequence, really different points of view on what is just and unjust. I think it's actually one of the most contested spaces of all professions because people are carrying different traumas and different ideas about what racial justice is and what justice is and what restorative justice is. Um, The other thing that I think is challenging is that to do meaningful work in this space you have to be extremely collaborative and as a leader you have to hold space for multiple different points of view and really have every single person in that space feel deeply heard and deeply understood and it's only then that you can move forward Um, so it's 
one of those things that's challenging but extremely rewarding. It's one of the things that you're absolutely willing to do because it's what it takes. Um, it's what it takes to honour our young people and to honour our city and to bring everything that's possible for our young people into existence. It's a very exciting collaboration. It's very moving and while it's challenging, it feels like the absolute privilege of your life. It's sometimes you're in these very challenging circumstances and yes you're exhausted at the end of the night but you're also in wonder and awe at, at the way that we're leaning into the hard work and moving things forward and that we're centering the people that are most impacted by the criminal legal system the young people themselves and we're providing a platform for them to speak back to professionals inside the system to advocate for themselves to advocate for systematic change and to be known for who they really are which are courageous hearted amazing young people who have so much to offer our city amazing i my mind is going in all sorts of directions and this question's not on our list but i just i wanted to ask you and you mentioned before when you raced into the you know you got snuck into the judges um, chambers and, and proposed the idea in the first place, not mentioning it's from the School of Architecture. So with someone with this background, you know, an automatic assumption, obviously incorrectly, is that someone might have a law degree or a law background. But what brought you to this? What brought you to the decision to go, this is, I want to set this up, this, this to do with artwork and and um young people in this justice system how how did you come to that as an architect i became really interested in public space and whose voices are heard in public space and whose aren't and if you look at the monuments uh that we see all around uh, different cities in the west they're usually of white men often war heroes um, that are memorialized uh, and you know similarly it's the homeless people that are kicked out of uh, public space as though they are not worthy members of the public. So I became extremely interested in that and one of my friends was a public defender and when I learned that 16 and 17 year olds were prosecuted as adults in New York State, even though they're too young to vote, I thought wow I would love to create a public project in partnership with those young people who have been arrested, classified as adults, and allow the general public, who at the time didn't really know that this was the case, to really speak about that experience and to advocate for not only themselves, but to change the system and to change the legislation. And uh, so I applied for a fellowship at Columbia University and I won it and then I began a focus group and then I've already told you the rest. Eventually we became a court mandated program and a true alternative to incarceration for many wonderful young people who would have landed up in adult jail uh, in Rikers Island which at the time was the most dangerous place outside a conflict zone uh, in the world, the, the wing that held 16 and 17 year olds. It was just a violent, 
a brutal misunderstanding of who our extraordinary young people are in this city and just how possible it is to support them to become the leaders and the contributors that they were born to be. They were born to be magnificent and unfortunately uh, we forgot that in really structural racist ways and it's been a complete joy to partner with the young people that have come through our program and affect meaningful change. Uh, they really have been so generous in introducing themselves to the many players inside the criminal legal system through their artworks and through their exhibitions and they have collectively created an enormous mind shift and so prosecutors and judges have really shifted their discretion um, and offered more restorative sentencing options as a consequence to our young people's leadership. Um, I think we forget that at every point of contact that a young person may have with the system from arrest right through to sentencing is a lot of discretion. Police officers can choose to arrest someone or not to give them a desk appearance ticket and send them home or hold them for 36 hours and put them in the basement of the courthouse in putrid circumstances. Prosecutors can choose to offer jail or a mandated program or to completely dismiss and seal the case. There's so much discretion and it's possible to end mass incarceration through those points of discretion. And that's culture change. And our young people in Brooklyn and in New York have led that culture change through their creative voices and through their artworks and through their incredible um, immersive public art installations inside of the courtrooms themselves and I could not be more proud of them. It's, it's been a complete joy and honour to work with them and to hear what they have to say and listen to their wisdom. Incredible work. It really is, Rachel. And, you know, you are part of that story by opening the door. It, you know, we could say, oh, someone else might have thought of it. Well, they might have, but when? But the timing was when you did and you opened the door and got a team around who felt passionate about it in the same way that you do to see them with such a positive light um yeah that's just amazing it's pretty easy to see them in the positive light if you knew how easy it was like I know they're driving their parents crazy and their teachers crazy but they really are the best so you've been away, if I'm thinking, well, you're in New York for at least 10 years, if not longer, it sounds like. You've been away from Australia for a long time. What does, what does it mean to you for Australia, you know, the Global Australian Awards to be shining this spotlight or to be recognising you, like to have this sort of point of contact through work? I mean, I'm sure you've had contact with family and friends over the years, but in this kind of more formal way, what does it, what does it feel like? Kathy, I have met so many wonderful Australians in so many different parts of the world. So to be included in your global Australian conversation is a real thrill and a genuine privilege and honour. Uh, one of the most special things about being nominated, and thank you everyone who was involved in that, is having our extraordinary work and our extraordinary young people noticed. I hope that in seeing me that people explore young New Yorkers and meet the young people themselves and learn how enormously wise uh, young people who are arrested are that what has led them there 
uh, are often experiences that many of us will never experience in our lifetime and that there is so much to be gained by leaning in to understanding uh, where a young person is coming from um, and that life is richer when we learn uh, what life is like and what the world is like for all of us and not just people who are like us so that's that's really exciting and it's it's really moving and I'm so fortunate to be looped into this extraordinary network that you have at Advance. Oh it was a pleasure Rachel there was something you said earlier that made me think oh my gosh I it it reminded me last year of Leith Greenslade was the overall winner last year, social impact, she lives in New York. You two are saying such similar things. I really see the connection. Even you saying earlier that when you're working for something bigger than yourself, it, the mo- you don't even need to look for the motivation, it's there. So that, that's almost word for word what she said last year as well. So anyway, that aside. So last question um, is about what sort of advice um, you would give to someone early on in their career, whatever that might be, what would you say to them when they've got, you know, some idea maybe about something that's slightly different to what they're doing or it's absolutely spot on what you're doing they want to do elsewhere? What would you say to them? I think so often in the Western world we're asked what do we want to be when we grow up and I think two things about that. One, we don't notice that we're grown up. <laughs> It just dawns on you like halfway through life, oh, I am a grown-up. Uh, what, what, what am I doing? <laughs> what have I become? Uh, the other thing is that that's a very cognitive way at approaching your own life. And uh, being very cerebral is a kind of a Western emphasis on, on how to live. Um, and so my biggest advice is for young people is to play and to experience all the many different things that you might want to do professionally. And I'm really excited to see so many young people wanting to live a life of purpose and to bring that purpose into their work. So the thing that I would advise there is that that is very much linked to your own fulfillment and what can happen when you want to live a life of purpose is to be asking yourself moment to moment am i fulfilled right now how about now am i fulfilled now actually no this is boring maybe this isn't my life of purpose but actually more than the feeling of fulfillment in this moment it's what you're committed to and the enormous amount of things that you can do the enormous amount of hard things you can do when you're committed to something larger than yourself so play and when the time is right make a commitment because it's an extraordinary grace that you give your own life to do things that you could never have dreamed of and that you probably can't dream of in this moment but a few steps down the line will be well within reach and and you'll surprise yourself so expect to blow your own mind I guess is is my advice and to really follow um, the experience of life and the curiosities that you have not just for the world but for the people in it and good luck (laughs) and what's next for you Rachel I'm having the best time right now. I'm back in founder mode. Uh, During COVID, my nieces and I were separated for more than two years. And 
the three of us, we all have dyslexia. So I've always uh, greeted them by kissing them on their big brains. And we decided we really care about plastic pollution and that we want to be the people to change plastic pollution. And we want to start with something we know a lot about, which is toys. So together, the three of us are starting a toy company that's made completely out of recycled cardboard and that's designed to last only as long as your child needs them. And we all, you know, the three of us want to change the world again and, we, and we're willing to do the fun, hard work that it takes to do that. So I just have the first round of toys at factories and we're going to be testing them over the next three months and we hope to end the 30 million tons of plastic toys that end up in landfill and our natural environment each year so i'm in my element i'm starting something again i'm in my element i'm having so much fun thank you for listening to this episode for more on global australian game changes over the last decade please go to our website advance.org.